for those of you who've just come in, what we've just discussed this, and we've decided your fate. Okay, so we're going to go on with our meetings until October when the new term starts. September? So it's next week. No, no. This is August. Holy cow. I, I, in, yeah. Two, two weeks. Yeah. Mine, I don't feel so bad. <laughs> so two weeks. Uh, okay, so we'll continue. What I, what I propose to do, if it's all right with you, is to uh, go ahead and finish Romans at whatever point we finish it. And then go into Galatians or Ephesians. Uh, we'll, I'll give that give you a, 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 a chance to pick a pick one there. Can we do both? Probably not okay. in a semester, but, uh, but can I make a suggestion? Sure. If we want to go until we finish wherever that is, could it be chapter sixteen? We're going to finish chapter sixteen. <laughs> Good. Just want to make we're, sure you have, we're gonna, we, we finished at 11. And, yeah. We're going to keep going with Romans until we finish Romans, and then we'll go to either Galatians or Ephesians. So. <laughs> I don't do facetious. R-R-R-R. <laughs> so, all right. Um, I think we're at 11 and 11, and just for review's sake... Uh, chapters 9 to 11 have a five-part argument. The first part, 9-1 to 29, I, again, it's, it's, these chapters are necessitated by what, what happens at the end of chapter 8. Because if nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord, what about Israel? And doesn't that falsify what Paul says at the end of Romans 8? Um, and so... Uh, his answer comes in four steps. First is, God has hardened unbelieving Israel. You don't have your mic on. Are you recording? Um, yes, I am recording. I do have the mic on, but it's not turned on. Now, oh, it's way too loud. Sorry. We'll deal with that, too. Is is this better? Yes. Is it would you like it a little lower? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit lower? How's that? Is that okay? All right. Um, so Paul starts with the issue that God has hardened unbelieving Israel. And, and going back to what we've talked about on hardening, this is not taking nice people and making them bad. It's taking people who have real, really no heart for God and turning them over to all that's in their heart to do. So chapter 1, uh, since I have a doctorate from Dallas Seminary and I know great and wise things most people don't know, chapter 1 is also part of, of Romans. <laughs> and it sets, the, it sets the standard that uh, when people knew God, they, they, weren't, they didn't honor Him as God and they were not fa- thankful well, what about Israel in Jesus' day and Paul's day? Right. They, they didn't honor him as God and they, didn't, they were not thankful, so God handed them over. So the, the same issue is going on in chapter 9 that was going on in chapter 1. We must not lose sight of that. This is not some new thing that's come on the, on the scene. It's an essential part of what Paul is saying. Indeed, the first, I, I, I argue that there are only two Roman numeral sections in the book of Romans. It's 1 to, one to 11 and 12 to 15, 13. So, so those two major sections, we're coming to the end of that, but in chapter 9, 1 to 29, God has hardened unbe- unbelieving Israel. Second, 9.30 to 10.21, and we've looked at that, Israel rejected God's righteousness in favor of their own righteousness. Yes? Third step, but God preserved a remnant chosen by grace. This we looked at two weeks ago. So verses 1 to 10 of chapter 11, um, um, God has kept for himself a remnant in Israel. Folks, this is a fundamental notion. Through once, once you get to Isaiah especially, the concept of the remnant becomes a major issue. Uh, so 
there is always an Israel, and thus, thus he can say, uh, verse uh, 2, God has not cast off his people whom he foreknew, or do you not know in Elijah what the scripture says? And in Elijah would be in the section of scripture that talks about Elijah. Um, how he interceded with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. I alone am left, and they're seeking my life. But what did the oracle say to him? I have left for myself um, uh, 7,000 men who have not bowed down to Baal. So now... Even in the present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace, and the rest were hardened. So, um, 11, 1 to 10. We're coming now to the fourth step in his argument. And here it is in 11, 11 to 24. God gave the promises to Israel, I'm sorry, to Gentiles through faith. And I should add probably here, with the goal of leading Israel to jealousy. That, that should be in there. Uh, God gave the promises to Gentiles through faith to drive Israel to jealousy so that they would have their own promises. Um, so this is what we're looking at today immediately. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, is there any connection between it says that God is a jealous God and then here it talks about the one who made Israel jealous. What, what does jealousy look like for God? Yeah, for God, jealousy is... Um, <laughs> Um, doing what is necessary to maintain his relationship with Israel, whether it relates to foreigners' treatment of Israel or whether it relates to Israel's own response to God. He will, in jealousy, act to maintain relationship with Israel. Um, what was the other passage that you referred well, to? this says that he wanted to make Israel, oh, make jealous. Israel jealous. God, yeah. But it says God is a jealous God. Yeah. Meaning yeah. So here the idea is, and, and by the way, different words have different meanings in different contexts, and so you just have to let the context determine it. Here the idea is the Gentiles are getting our promises. Why are they getting our promises? Why aren't we? And so they, they start looking around trying to figure out why they're not getting their promises. Um in that One for Israel series of videos, on, on several occasions, people will say uh, things like, I went to the rabbi to, to, to find out how to get to know God. And the rabbi will say to me, you don't need to know God, you need to keep the commandments. Or they will say, the rabbis lied to me. They told us, that, that, that Jesus could not be the Messiah, and here are all the reasons. And suddenly, as I read the text, and they, once you get a, a, a uh, spiritually sensitive Israelite to read the New Testament, they find out it's not a Gentile book. It's altogether a Hebrew book. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of um, David, the son of Abraham. Are you with me here? Then he gives a genealogy of Jesus. This is a very Jewish book. Um, and so they begin to see, well, now things aren't, aren't the way they were, and they start seeking the things that are driven by. Uh, they, they start seeking the things of the Lord so that they can solve the problem spiritually that they're having. So if that makes any sense, then I think this is the kind of thing that's going on. Uh, there are... Israelites today who are jealous once they come to realize what, what the rabbis have been telling them and are looking for well, what if, if Jesus is the Messiah what does this mean and, and how do I find out about him um, so where did we stop there to straight, uh, um, verse uh, 12 now, if um, their, their failure is the wealth of the world, and their, um, the word means lack, what do you have? To, I, 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 trespass. trespass? Okay. Their, their tre- 
What did you say? Diminishing. Yeah. I, I would read this as... Uh, uh, I had a good word just a minute ago, and it's gone out from me now. Um, it, th- their impoverishment spiritually is the wealth of the of the Gentiles. How much more will their fulfillment be? So, so Paul is saying here, folks, and and we know this, but Paul is saying, look, Israel has a future with God. Yes. In his day, that future with God temporally was by coming into the body of Christ. But in our text, it's going to take us past all that, past that history, past our history, and take us on into the future. So it goes on, um, uh, verse uh, 13, Now I say to you Gentiles... As long and, and this is almost parenthetical here. As long as I am the uh, apostle of the Gentiles, I will glorify my ministry. If by some means I might stir my flesh up to jealousy and save some of them, for if their casting away is the reconcile, reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be except life from the dead? So. Um, the rejection of Israel has meant the gospel being sent to all nations. It's, it's, it's interesting because when you observe how little kids operate, there's a toy here, right? <laughs> Not using it, right? Yeah. Don't pay attention to it. But all of a sudden, another kid comes and... That's right. And That's mine. That. Yeah. That's what, That's what God is doing here. Problem is, we've not been living in the grace of God. Right. And so Israel's not terribly jealous of us. Um, so what I would suggest is that living by grace is more important. That is, let me say it differently. I would suggest that it is more important to teach living by grace than living by obedience. Mm-hmm. Uh, let people come to know the security of their relationship with God. And to know... Obedience is slavery. Grace is freedom. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if I, as as we've argued in in uh, Romans, if you try to live by law, it's going your indwelling sin is going to use that as a as fodder to create acts of sin, even against your will. And if that's the case, then preaching obedience is not helping the church. It's not making making us stronger. It's teaching us faith and what it means to live by faith. Uh, uh, so, once the church, and I, I suspect this is going to come, and <clears throat> the text doesn't address this issue, but I suspect this is going to come in the tribulation period. In the, in the tribulation, genuine, gen, genuine believing Gentiles will be there, and they will be experiencing the blessing of God, protection against persecution, yes, provision in the desert, in, in wilderness places where they can't get any food. Am I making sense to you? And Israel will see what what the prophets went through and what their own fathers went through in the wilderness. They'll see it in believing Gentiles during the, during the tribulation and turn in mass to the Lord. So, uh, so I, th- th- that's just my suspicion. But I, I think that it, it, it works at least. Uh, so verse 16, if the first fruit is holy, then the lump of dough uh, also. Uh, and if the root is holy, so also, so also are the leaves. So if what we were taken from is holy, then we are holy. Yes? And you can, you can look at this in a variety of ways. You can look at it um, talking about uh, Israel being holy, and we were taken from Israel. In effect, yes. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Well, the gospel was taken from uh, from Israel and given to us, and it. So, we, in a sense, we are taken from away from Israel, while Israel was undergoing hardening. But if they are holy, then what came from Israel is holy, and if the root is holy, and and the other way you can read this is. What about Abraham and the and the patriarchs? 
If they are holy, then the leaves, the, the branches and leaves that come from them is holy. This is going to bring, bring us to a very difficult passage. It's, it's really tough. Um, and it, it revolves around definitions of a few terms. The, the last step that we'll go through is verses 25 to 32. And we'll return to that later, so I won't say anything more about it now. Um, so in 11, 11 to 24, verses 11 to 15, their fall meant life for the Gentiles so that acceptance will, will mean even greater hope for the whole world. We just talked about that. Um, in, can I ask yes. In verse uh, 11 and 12 in the New King James, it says, but through their fall to provoke them. And then in verse 12, now if their fall is riches, but it says that word can also mean trespass. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm following. Which, where, oh yeah, trespass there in verse 12 certainly does mean trespass. Um, and uh, verse 11 says, but through their fall or trespass to provoke them. Yeah, it, 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 in both places, the, it's the same word, so. Um, so it is Paul saying that their unbelief was a trespass? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's what we've been saying virtually since the beginning of this study, that the essence of sin is unbelief. So he's using trespass specifically in the sense of sin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've lost my... Since this is being recorded, I'll be very careful about how I say it. I've lost my lubricating advice device here. <laughs> Um, but with verse 17 is where we get into the real problematic passage. So 11, 16 to 21, Israel remains holy before God, though presently rejected so that the Gentiles must not despise Israel, the natural heirs of God's promise. That's my attempt to summarize this whole section. Um, the beginning of God's work is holy, so what results from it is also holy. Verse 17, the natural recipients of the promises were rejected so that Gentiles might receive them contrary to all expectation. We're getting promises that Israel was given. And nobody would have expected God to do that with a bunch of Gentiles. So verse uh, 18 and 19, Israel rejected and rejection might lead Gentiles to boast against Israel wrongly since the Gentiles are not heirs, natural heirs of the promises. This passage not only is addressing the issue raised at the end of chapter 8, it's also preparing for the application of the book in chapters 12 to 15. Um, so looking at verses 18 and 19, um, I'm sorry, verse 7, let's pick it up, verse 17. If some of the branches were were cut out and you though a wild olive um, are grafted in among them and are fellow partakers of the root of its fatness of the fatness of the olive tree um, do not boast against the branches well, let me remind you of the what appears to be the occasion of the book of Romans in the church at Rome there is a substantial Jewish component and there's a substantial Gentile component and as, as we saw at the beginning in Romans 14 there are two groups Paul calls them weak and strong um, the weak eat only vegetables the strong eat meat as well the result of that is that the weak dis- uh, condemn the strong and the strong uh, despise the weak. Uh, can you now see how this passage fits into that whole message? Don't boast against the root. Your Gentile, your Israelite brothers in the body of Christ are, are part of the natural olive tree. They belong. You don't. You're grafted in contrary to all expectation. You would never, ever take a cultivated olive tree and graft a branch in from an uncultivated olive tree because it would, I, I don't know what it would do to the whole, but it would, say again? Not productive. Okay. 
Um, so you always, if, if you're going to graft anything, you're going to graft a, a, uh, a, um, a, a good, a cultivated tree into an uncultivated tree if, if you're going to do anything. Um, we saw, and you've seen this too probably, we saw some crepe myrtles recently, not too many months ago. The same bush had white and red flowers on it because they had grafted in a, a, a branch or a, or a stem that produced white flowers into the, into the crepe myrtle. And so it had two different colors growing in two different parts of the same uh, crepe myrtle. It was kind of an odd sight, and I had never quite seen that before, but it was interesting. But it's the same principle. See, you, you Gentiles, we Gentiles, must remember that we're in... Everybody is in the tree because of the good grace of God. But the grace of God toward Israelites in the tree is leaving them where they were naturally. Putting us into the tree is contrary to all expectation. What are you frowning so hard for, Larry? Oh, I'm not. Okay, all right. Okay, so this is, this is an important step here. So would you say that the root is really, it's not Israel itself, it's all the covenant background? Yeah, that's where we're headed, and I think that's going to be the answer. Um, so we've got to talk about that. So it's going to be a, it's quite a, a difficult passage in a lot of ways. Uh, with Beginning with verse 17, everything just goes haywire in the commentaries. <laughs> they go in every direction. I think I, I have worked it out. That's a pretty arrogant statement, isn't it? But I think I've worked it out. Um, from verse 17 up to verse 17, any reference to you is plural. Can't tell that in English. Because, pardon? Use. Use. From, yeah, I say use. Use. Use guys. You guys. Uh, all y'all. <laughs> um, from verse 17... Every reference to you is singular, and it remains that way through verse 24. Once you get to 25, it's plural again. And I I noticed that one time as I was reading through Romans, and I thought, why is that the case? What's going on here? And I think the answer is um, one of the benefits I've had in the career that God has created for me is that he's put me in the Old Testament so much and has forced me to spend a lot more time in the Old Testament than uh, most uh, even Bible scholars do, um, unless you're specifically, your field is Old Testament. One of the things it did for me, New Testament scholars typically don't know the Old Testament very well. What, what they do is they look at contexts of quotations and try to explain why the quotation comes from that context and what the context there in the Old Testament is doing. But because they don't have a broad sense of the, of the culture and the theology of the Old Testament, their, their conclusions are often um, less, than, less valid than they would otherwise be. Um, this is not something that I sought out. I did choose to major in Old Testament in the doctoral work because I thought... In fact, in the master's work, I chose to major in the Old Testament because I thought, with my background, I will be stronger in the New Testament always than the Old Testament, so I need to work on my weaknesses instead of my strengths. So uh, one of the things that we talked about in the Old Testament, um, and it's a concept that's all over the place, and you know the concept, though you don't know the name of it. Uh, We mentioned it in chapter 7. Uh, Indeed, in chapter 5, we mentioned it. Um, In Adam, all die. Yes? In Christ, all shall be made alive. So there are two, what what scholars call, um, oh gosh, now the the term has gone from me, Um, corporate solidarities. Corporate solidarity—we've used that term before. There are two corporate solidarities in the Old Testament and in the Gospels. Uh, that's in Adam, 
and in well well in Adam and in Israel in the Old Testament. Yes. When we get to the New Testament, the in Israel part is no longer significantly relevant. So it's in Adam in Christ. Yes. So when I'm in Adam, I share all the character and the benefits of the head of the corporate solidarity. (laughs) Yes. So I get the sin and I get the death. In Christ, I share all the benefits of those in the, of the head of the corporate solidarity. I get his status, I get his identity, and so I am in Christ. So here, he's dealing, I think, in corporate solidarity thinking. So he's not talking to you singular, each one of you individual Gentiles. He's talking to y'all guys. <laughs> all y'all are... Um, in Adam, right? So you, let's read it that way. Every every second person singular pronoun, second person pronoun from seventeen through twenty-four is singular. That's really strange because he's been using the plural constantly up to this point. So um, now. If some of the branches were were grafted out or cut out, and you, being being a wild olive tree, are grafted, you you again are grafted uh, in among them, and you have become partakers of the of the root and of the fatness of the olive tree. You have become you singular. Do not boast against the branches. Um, so what I think he's doing here is he's saying uh, God has has taken the Gentile world okay are you with me and grafted the Gentile world into Israel's olive tree now that doesn't fit with a lot of treatments you've had of this passage if you've ever heard it taught um Usually, being grafted into the olive tree means being being saved. Uh, I don't think it's that at all. Who are the heirs of Abraham? Naturally, who are the heirs of Abraham? Israel. Um, is every Israelite an heir of Abraham? Yes. Uh, does every Israelite inherit from Abraham? No. That's right. Yeah. Because being in the tree doesn't make you saved. It just means that you are a potential heir of the promises made to Abraham. But definitely Manasseh would not. Yeah. Manasseh? Manasseh, King Manasseh. Hmm? The king? Oh, King Manasseh. Yeah. Yes. I was trying to think. I thought of the tribe, and I didn't. He's one example. Yeah. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and so on. Uh, the, the point here is then not being in the tree means salvation. It means having access to the promises made to Abraham. Does this make sense to you? And all Gentiles are now in that place. Okay. So reading on, where did we stop? Verse 18, do not boast against the branches. If you do boast, you're not carrying the root. The root is carrying you. But you will say, they were cut, the, the branches were cut out so that I might be grafted in. Very well. They were grafted, they were cut out because of unbelief. So notice that you can, that Israel can lose its place in the promises to Abraham because of unbelief. Yes. Two qualifications necessary for inheriting the promise of Abraham for Israel in the Old Testament. First is circumcision, and second is circumcision of the heart. Um, and, and circumcision of the heart we've talked about before. Deuteronomy ten sixteen um, is part of the exposition of the great commandment: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. In Romans ten, he quoted. Paul quoted from Romans 9 and 30. 
uh, where these ideas occur and the and indeed in chapter 30 verse 6 the lord the lord your god will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your children after you so um being in the tree doesn't mean that you're circumcised in heart you can't be as an israelite you can't be in the tree unless you're circumcised in flesh but you can lose your role in the tree by being uncircumcised in heart is this clear yes so being in the tree doesn't mean salvation it means having access to the promises to abraham and can trade all expectation against every assumption anyone would ever make god has grand, has grafted the gentile world into the olive tree so that we are now potential heirs of the promises to abraham um, but but the you continues to be singular so uh, now what's a branch then He, he talks about, does he not mention branches here someplace? Where does he? Uh, yeah, there in verse 18. What are the branches? Yeah, it's uh, any group that rejects faith as a relationship with God. But it's not individual people. If If each of the branches is a believer, then what we're saying is, that believers can be cut out of the tree. <laughs> so, and and I think, I'm, I've not ever read anything on this, uh, but I'm, I imagine this would be a great place for an Arminian to make a case that you can lose your salvation. But he's not thinking in an Old Testament fashion. Paul's writing to people who know the Old Testament quite well. They don't know the new. Yes? Correct. <laughs> They may have a gospel or two, maybe maybe even three, by the time Paul writes. Probably not. Probably have Mark, because Mark is probably written for Rome. But they might, they might have Mark in the Old Testament, and now they have Romans. And beyond that, what other what else they have? I don't know. Probably Mark. Mark was right there with Paul too. So. Well, at some point, um, the. Uh, so the point here is that they're going to be reading this if if the branches are believers, individual believers then a branch can be in the tree, grafted in the tree because of faith and then because of unbelief be cut out of the tree if on the other hand the branch is not individual believers, if it's the Gentile world and this is God's plan. Watch it as it unfolds. So, um, verse uh, 20. Um, I was grafted in at the end of verse 19. Very well. They were cut out because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. Uh, do not boast against... Uh, do, do not be high-minded, but fear. For if God um, did not spare the natural branches... How much less will he spare you? So, if they were saved and cut out of the tree because of unbelief, then you can be you can be saved and because of unbelief be cut out of the tree. But I don't think that's the point. So, what are the natural branches each tribe? Say again. What are the natural branches each tribe? It's it's the nature. It's the nation of Israel. Overall. Yeah. Israel still has access to the promises of God, but they have to come the same way a Gentile does. I was wondering between the plural and the singular. Yeah. The difference there. Well, all of this is singular from 17 on to verse 24. So, um, so the olive tree is not Israel. The olive tree is not Israel. I think the olive tree is the, is the Abrahamic covenant, as Chago mentioned earlier, the promises to Abraham. Isaac and, and uh, Jacob and Joseph and David and... So the branches represent Israel. Israel. Uh, and the Gentile world. Um, behold, therefore, verse 22, behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God upon those who fell, severity. But upon you, the goodness of God, if 
you, singular, remain in his goodness, since you, singular, will also be cut out. If, if then you is all believers or it's all every, each and every Christian, then you can definitely lose your salvation. If that's not consistent with the rest of the teaching of the New Testament, I've got to look for a different answer. And I don't think it's consistent with the rest of the, of the New Testament. Uh, so my answer is we're dealing with corporate solidarity thinking in this passage. Um, verse 23, that they, but they, if they do not remain in unbelief, will be grafted in again. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you, singular, were cut out of a, a, a contrary to, to nature, cut out of a wild olive tree, and contrary to nature, you were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will they? who uh, in a natural way will be grafted into their own olive tree. So uh, Israel's return is expected at some point in the future. He doesn't define that point. But you, you, you surely have some questions about this. Well, you, you've been focusing or emphasizing verses 17 through 24 talking about you and the singular. Yeah referring to the Gentile world. Yeah. So prior to that, you in the plural refers to... You, you, you guys. You, you guys that are sitting here. As individual? Yeah. Individual. Oh. But the, the question is, why does he make this... And it's unique to this passage. Why does he just press this? Uh, Greek doesn't need a pronoun to express the subject of a verb because... Virtually every verb in Greek has the pronoun already in the form. All right. So when I explain the form of a of a Greek verb, I'll say it's second masculine singular, second singular. I'm doing Hebrew. Second singular present active indicative from the word poiao to make. I always name that because the ending of the word normally, in the vast majority of cases is the pronoun the subject, the pronominal subject, he, she, it, I, we, they, and so on. Yes? Over my head. So, if the Gentile nation was grafted into the olive tree, the Israelites kill us, and we we get the the nourishment from the root while we're there, grace. Yeah, and that's the Gentile world that's getting grace. So, where is the Gentile world when he removes us? Well, he doesn't remove us. He removes us to the Gentile world. He's not talking about... I understand, but so the Gentile world, where is the Gentile world after they're removed? Well, at tribulation. Um, the, so that, that, that would be okay after the rapture? I think so. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, folks, about the rapture, let me say this. I'm pre-trib in my view. Um, I think it makes best sense of the, of the problematic texts that we have. But there are five views on the timing of the raptures. Pre-trib, uh, mid-trib, part, partial rapture, pre-trib, um, mid-trib, pre-wrath, and post-trib. Um, Two of them, I think, are impossible. Partial rapture view is is untenable because of the the unity of the body of Christ. So only only those who are Christians who are ready for the coming of Christ will be raptured. Those who are not ready will not come go in the rapture. That I, I think that's untenable because of the unity of the body of Christ. That's yeah, also untenable for what we've been saying about grace. It, yeah. It works and yeah. obedience yeah. does not make you in good standing. Right. Post trib is untenable from my point of view because um, the uh, both Isaiah and Revelation make clear that during what we call the millennium, there is going to be uh, unbelief and sin in those periods. So if if the post trib rapture view is the right one. What happens to unbelievers 
who, who are not raptured and come back, what happens to them when Jesus comes and judges what's going to happen? Well, they surely are consigned to hell, yes? So where, do, where does all the sin and death come from in the millennium? So you have to have some period between the time of the rapture and the time of the beginning of the millennium for uh, uh, non-believers to reach... I, I don't believe in the concept of the age of accountability, but you probably do, so I'll go with that. Um, uh, to reach the age of accountability and be able to go in as a non-believer into the kingdom. Does this make sense to you? So the three views, pre-trib, mid-trib, and pre-wrath, are, are all possible. Um, uh, the the fact that the, new t- the, the Bible talks about the tribulation as the time of Jacob's trouble and uh, the purification of Israel suggests to me that we're probably not going to be there at all. But if you had to, if you had to have us there during part of the tribulation, then pre, um, uh, uh, mid-trib or pre-wrath would work. I don't think pre-wrath is quite a sound view because it appears that the whole seven years of tribulation are wrath from God. They want to make that just the, the bold judgments. Uh, so I take the pre-trib view. Uh, it's not because I, I don't want to go into the tribulation that I take that view. Uh, if, if, if I'm wrong, I'm going into the tribulation whether I take that view or not. So if, if it comes in my lifetime. So it's not because of that. It's because of other things uh, that, that God has not appointed us for judgment. We, we are, our, our judgment is already pronounced in our favor. So, um, so uh, this passage, I think, is consistent with um, Israel having a major turning to the Lord during the tribulation period, and um, and massively in in massive numbers coming to faith in Christ. Um, so the the point is that. Gentiles must not look with scorn on on Jewish believers who have sincere scruples against eating certain kinds of meat, for example. Does that make sense to you? Now, that's not an issue for any one of us. Yes, I don't suppose that you would look down on a Christian who wouldn't eat pork. Um, it's not a, an issue for any one of us, but it was an issue in Paul's day. And what also is an issue for us is that often we do tend to look down on Israel, uh, whereas we must understand that we are altogether Johnny-come-latelys who are in a place of favor before God that no Gentile had ever experienced until uh, Paul's ministry began. So uh, we're, we're in a remarkable position. Um, so here is a, a slide that talks about what, what is the olive tree. The views that, I, that have been proposed are the covenant of grace, Israel, Abraham, and the Abrahamic covenant. I think the Abrahamic covenant is the one that makes most sense in this. Uh, what does it mean to, or what is grafted in, in individual Gentiles or something else? I would argue it's the Gentile world. Paul is engaging in corporate solidarity thinking. The grafting in makes the Gentile world potential heirs to the promise to Abraham as Israel was during the Old Testament period. Um, As the Israelite nation, not individuals, was removed from the olive tree, there were individuals. You can't remove a nation without removing individuals, but it wasn't a focus on the individuals in the nation that was in view. It was the nation that set aside it. Paul himself, as he will say, is, a, is an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. Um, so, as the Israelite nation, uh, nation was removed from the olive tree, so will the Gentile world be because of unbelief. Now, that gets us down to verse 25. Do you have any other questions about this? This is not an easy passage, and we went through it fairly quickly, but... Uh, if you have questions, you know. I don't know, in my mind, I'm just tossing this around in, in my head, and uh, 
it seems to me that I could almost make the case that the other branches that, that the Lord refers to, Israel is one, but that the other branches may be those descendants of Abraham who were also circumcised, could like be. Edom, Moab, yeah. and Ammon. Yeah, could be. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's not part of the context, so I wouldn't want to make a big point of that, but it could be by way of application. Now, verse 25 uh, thus he will stir Israel to jealousy, bringing them to salvation through faith. So, verse 25, uh, verses 25 to 27 is the first unit here as I've outlined it. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in yourselves, that hardening in part has come to Israel until the, fulf- the fulfillment of the Gentiles and. Uh, do you have fullness of the Gentiles? Fullness. Yeah. Uh, any, uh, Mark, you were in the Marines. Were you ever on ship yes. during your tour? Uh, you can talk about the ship's complement. What is the ship's complement? What you mean in the Navy? In the Navy, yeah. I don't remember. Okay. It's, it's the total... Um, total workforce for doing all the tasks necessary to fulfill the mission of the of the vessel. Does this make sense to you? That's that, that's the way one of the ways this word is used. So the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. Um, so uh, hardening in part has come to Israel. Notice that hardening in part and he will explain that very soon. Hardening in part has come to Israel until the full complement of the Gentiles comes in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now it's here that he uses, he starts using this word Israel in, uh, in pointed ways. Uh, let me talk to you about it for a minute. Um, I forget what I was going to say. <laughs> Uh, and so all Israel will be saved. Um, a savior, a deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn on godliness from Jacob. And uh, this will be the covenant, my covenant with them whenever I forgive their sins. Uh, uh, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. Now, who is the your here? Not just the, the Christians at Rome, but for the sake of the Gentiles. It's still plural here, but but as far as the election is concerned, they're believed for the sake of the fathers. I had a man. I had a conversation with a man back in 1973 or so, for 74 maybe, and he was he was uh, reformed, uh, and he said, "Well, chapter 11 of Romans clearly calls the church Israel." And I said, well, where? And he showed me this passage. This isn't Israel. This isn't the church that he's talking about. Um, Verse um, 28. I wish I could remember why I brought up that name Israel. Um, Hardening in part has come to Israel. Um, I don't know why I did. Um, 26 says, and so all Israel... Yes. Yeah, all Israel will be saved. And that's, that was his point. Verse 26, all Israel will be saved. All the saved are Gentiles. I'm sorry, all the saved are Israel. No, that, that's not what it says. All Israel will be saved. That doesn't mean all the saved are Israel. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Um, all um, all Weimaraners are dogs, but not all dogs are Weimaraners. I don't know why that name came to mind at all. I've never had one. Uh, is the fullness of the Gentiles, is that a number? Is it a time? Or what is the fullness of the Gentiles? It's a number and a time, I imagine. When the, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, when all those whom God plans to save are in, then he's going to turn to Israel again. And thus, he will save Israel. Um, he, folks, he has to. I've told you about Bruce Waltke before. I uh, don't know whether the name rings a bell with you, but he was such an influence on my whole generation, uh, 
that I was in as students at Dallas Seminary that he, he, just, he just left his thumbprint on us everywhere. Uh, um, but Waltke is now a millennial. Um, if he's still living, I haven't heard that he's passed away, but he's he's getting fairly ancient now. But uh, uh, he started teaching at Dallas in 1956 or so. So you can imagine what his age would be. Uh, the uh, he's he's Amil, but he's an unusual Amil. He said in a lecture that I heard him give, and I he changes his views fairly regularly such that his reputation on the Dallas campus was he believes whatever he read last. <laughs> Which, he, he really is a genius and I think he has a photographic memory. Um, it seems to remember almost everything he's ever read. But he said, um, in, the, in the new heavens and new earth, Israel will rule over this earth in fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham and they will not be the church, they will be Israel. He's reformed. He's five-point Calvinist and he's uh, the whole thing. Church and Israel are the same thing today. But there's coming in his mind a, a, a distinction for Israel. Israel has to have the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant promises or else... God lied and he has proved not to be God anymore. And that is that's not the wording that he used. He's far more eloquent than I. But uh, that was his that was the essential uh, point that he was making when he met, when I heard him make this statement. So even a scholar and by the way he's an Old Testament scholar. Uh, so uh, in in looking at Romans 11 if you can, I don't know how you'd make Israel the church in Romans 11. It just, it simply doesn't make any sense. Uh, look again at verse 25. I want you guys to to not be ignorant, brothers, of the of this mystery, so that you all, plural, uh, are not wise in yourselves that the that hardening in part has come to Israel, the church. Is Israel there, the church? Hardening in part, in part has come to the church? Is that his point? I get no response. Okay, Sid's saying no, and you're right. <laughs> Hardening in part has I come... Was, I didn't say, I was just shaking my hand. Well, I, I don't I, know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hardening in part has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Israel cannot be the church. And, and thus, all Israel shall be saved. Uh, as it is written, uh, the, the Redeemer shall come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. That's not church. That's Israel. And this is the covenant that I will make with them whenever I forgive their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemy for your sake. The church is enemies for your sake. Yes? No. No. Makes no sense. It's Israel that are enemies for your sake, but as far as the election is concerned, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Can I stop? Mm-hmm. The you're there. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Is he writing to believers? Yeah. Okay. He's writing to Roman church. So he's writing to the church. Mm-hmm. So... How could the church become enemies of itself? Of course. That's the point. That's the that's the precise point I'm trying to make. Um, so you're, you're making reference to what some people term replacement theology. Mm-hmm, that's right. Because the first time somebody used that phrase with me, I, I just looked dumbfounded because I had what, no clue. What are you talking about? Said, Do you believe in replacement theology? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm a theologian, but I don't know. I don't know what I'm replacing it with. <laughs> I found out later what they were yeah. talking about, but when I first heard it, it made no sense. The whole point of replacement theology is that the church has taken fully the place of Israel. Right. Um, if I had... Did that come from Luther? No, it comes from way, 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 way back. Yeah, it's, it's an ancient doctrine in the church. Um, 
uh, verse uh, 29. But it's embraced by a number of people. Oh, lots, yeah. Um, you probably know this, Chavo, but some of the rest of us probably don't, may not. Uh, a Roman Catholic cathedral is, is of course, cruciform. Yes, it's got the, it, if you look at it from, the, from an aerial view, you'll see the cross there. But at the front, you have a rail uh, behind which the priest functions at the, at the uh, altar, and behind the altar is a veil. The, the church structure of a Catholic cathedral was based on the structure of the temple in Jerusalem. And the vestments of the priests were based on the vestments of the Levites. Um, the, the screen behind the altar is in place of the, the uh, veil before the Holy of Holies. And only the, uh, only the priest can go back behind that. Am I right about this? And what's going on at the altar is exactly what you expect to go on at an altar. We're re-crucifying Christ. That was the, doc- the doctrine of the Council of Trent. There, that's been softened some, I believe, in the Council, the Vatican Council in the late 50s and early 60s. But uh, it, 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 different churches will have different ways of talking about that. But, uh, folks, the, for them, the church is Israel. Do you know why the Crusades? Because the church is Israel. And it's it's Israel's job to redeem, to take back from the from the heathen, the Holy Land. Are you with me? All of all of this grows out of this replacement theology, and it's very ancient in the church. It goes back before the tenth century, A.D. So, um, very ancient in the church. Um, so uh, let's go. Where, where were we there? Where did we stop? As far as the gospel, verse twenty-eight. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are uh, enemies for your sake. As far as the election is concerned, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For and here it is, verse twenty-nine. The the gifts you have gifts. Do you in your text? This is um, a word derived from the word for grace in Hebrew in Greek. The grace gifts and the calling of God cannot be taken away. Then Israel has to be in this passage a reference to national Israel. Um, verse 30, then let's see, verse 30. For just as you you all formerly were disobedient to God, but now have obtained mercy. By, by their disobedience, uh, so also they now are disobedient for your mercy so that they now might receive mercy. For God has shut up all men in, uh, into disobedience so that he might show mercy to all. The word mercy translated there consistently and since chapter... Uh, how far back does that go? Um, chapter 9. Go back to chapter 9 just a minute. Um, where where Mo, uh, Paul is talking about... Um, oh, golly, what is he talking about? Mercy. Uh, Pharaoh. Sir? Was it verse 15? Yeah, it is. Uh, that word mercy in the Old Testament... Um, translates the Greek, the Hebrew word that I would translate. He was gracious. So every this this word is different. Look look over in, you, you know Romans one at twelve one. I, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies. mercies. That's a different word, entirely different word. No, that's oiktirmos, uh, compassion by the compassion of God. The word shows up in Romans for the first time in Romans 9, 14, 15. And for the last time, I believe this is right, uh, the last time it occurs is in eleven thirty one. So he's stressing and, and using these Old Testament quotations to press it home, he's stressing his grace toward 
uh, Israel is not ended by their treatment of Jesus at the cross. So every time you hear in a movie, every time you hear in a, in a documentary about World War II, they're Christ killers. Um, but we'd have done the same thing. We're not better, better than they. Apart from the grace of God, we'd have done exactly the same thing. So the issue is the grace of God is at work for them as it was in the Old Testament. And he closes this section in verse 33 and to 36. Oh, the, oh, the depth of the wealth and of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Past, uh, you, you can't make a path through them. Um, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given to him first and he will repay it to him? Because of him and through him and unto him are all things. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, just a comment or two on this benediction. Do you have any questions about it before I make a comment or two? I'm still having a hard time following who exactly who he's talking to. Yeah. Kind of like he goes back and forth in verses 30 through 32 on this matter of disobedience mm-hmm. and mercy. Yeah. Who, who, well, who in this? All right. Let's look at it. Verse 28. Uh, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies. So they will be Israel. Okay. For your sake. For the readers in general, but the readers in Rome in particular. As far as the election is concerned, though, they're elect for the sake of the fathers. They're beloved for the sake of the fathers. So they is Israel, you is uh, believers. Uh, The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For just as you formerly were disobedient to God, so you you Gentiles in Rome... But now you have obtained mercy through their disobedience. So even uh, so, even they now are disobedient for your mercy. So they is Israel. You is the readers in Rome. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Thanks for letting me clear that, clarify that. Um. um just a comment or two in this benediction at the end. One comment that's really important, I was teaching a theology class at the college, and um, they wouldn't let me teach theology at Dallas, but I got to do it at the college. Um, and I said something, I quoted from the Westminster Catechism, what is the chief end of man? What Some of you know, chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And one of the students, whom some of you might know, so I won't mention his name, but um, one of the students said, but is that true? Is it true that we're supposed to enjoy him forever, to glorify God and enjoy him forever? And the answer is there in verse 36. Uh, for, uh, because of him and through him are, and unto him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Um, our task is to give him glory but in giving him glory, it will mean joy for us. So uh, that is fairly important. I have Philemon. Oh, I, I know why that's there. Now, any questions? We've, we're through finally with the meat of, of Romans. We're going to come to what the book is written for to accomplish in chapter uh, 12. Do you have any questions before we go on to chapter 12? It's it's past time to stop. Would you say? Probably. Probably. Yeah. His first thirty-six. Don't know how to. The Catholic the Yeah. I I was asked to teach at Mid America. I was ta- asked to teach Latin twice. And the first time I was asked to teach it, the, the man who was teaching it had died in the middle of the class, and so I had to step in and and the final exam for these Baptist preacher boys. Southern Baptist Preacher Boys. Final exam was to translate the Latin Mass. And they'd come back. Do they know what they're saying? 
the, the gospel is in the mass. It's there. And I, I read through it a couple of times, and I, yeah, it's boy, the gospel's there. It's amazing. But I, I discovered something years ago. If you stare at a point long enough, you'll quit seeing that point. Your 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 um your your senses fatigue. What did you say? Obfuscated. Obfuscated. Yeah. Yeah. That your senses fatigue. It's the same thing you experience every time that you walk into a room where there's a strong odor, uh, whether it's uh, a good or bad. Initially, it 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 really impacts you, but very soon after that. It, you can't even tell it's there, or you, you have to think about it to realize it's there. Um, so whatever you see over and over and over and over and over, you quit seeing. Um, I have a friend who's a, a an Anglican priest now, <laughs> and they have a liturgy, and I just I, I grieve because he's a good man and I love him and he loves the Lord. He loves us too, but. Uh, uh, I grieve over it because they're really not getting the whole counsel of God because they're restricted to just what's in the liturgy, you know. So I'm never going to teach through a book in this, in this way. Well, it's past time to quit, so why don't we stop and we'll pick up with uh, chapter 12 next time. Uh, Father, um, how can we respond to this kind of thing that we've been looking at? What kind of grace is it that you've given to us that you would remove your beloved Israel to make room for us I I pray Father that you will make us humble because we have come to know what you have actually done for us and at what cost even cost to you and your own father's heart um, to set Israel aside Um, make us humble so that we can receive these things and act upon them in light of the honor you have conferred upon each of us that we are included among your children and we have a hope for the future but we also long father for that day to come when you will you will bring Israel back bring them to faith and establish your your kingdom over this earth. Father, you are king and you reign as king, but this world is in rebellion against you and we see it in the news every day. And we wonder how much longer, Lord. But your people have thought that for centuries. So teach us patience as we wait the day when your glory will be most served when your name will be most aggrandized, most glorified, because as sinful as things are now, they're not as sinful as they're going to be. So so glorify yourself, Father, and give us patience to wait for it, but also give us a sense of the great honor that is ours because you have made us your children. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.